Rabbi Nassat, what a nice word on Parsh Sazini from the Emrechaim. The Emrechaim touches on the Pusik Azini Hashemayim by the Bayer of Sishma Uras Emrefi. He says, Hashem is teaching us that it depends who you're talking to. You have to know how to tweak your message according to the person you're talking to. Hazini Hashemayim, if you're talking to people that are Ansha Hashemayim, Tamadachomim, Balamadraige, Baladaya, you're talking to people who could handle it. Then by the Bayer, you talk even harsher words. Similar to what we find by Kabbalah Satoyah, but if you're talking to people that have Sishma Ha'urats, whether it's Amaratsim or people who can't handle it for whatever reason, then yeah, Imrefi, you have to tweak your message and talk Amir uh, Raka. If, you, if you're talking to people, you're giving over whatever it is, generally, you know, Torah is talking to, you know, whether it's Hashem and Moshe Rabbeini, giving over Yiddishkeit or whatever it is, you know, it has to be given over accordingly. So this is very often a, a message that when it comes to Chinuch, people are very into it, you know, giving over the message, but it's a general communication idea, obviously, not to be the idea of the Pusik, but in general, so often people are, are very busy with what they're saying and not how they're saying it. And so often people justify what they said instead of trying to figure out if the way it was said or the way it was presented, the way it was communicated was, was, was done properly. So that's just... Very briefly, an idea which maybe we'll talk about a little more um, as we as we discuss this letter. So there's a, there's a long letter that I got a while back. I'm going to read it through. Obviously, the longer it gets, the more um, the more details and the more topics it's covering. You know, the harder it is to get to everything. But let me just let me start by reading it and and try to address the points that. I hope will be in benefit. Okay. Dear Rabbi Gruen, thank you for your sure. I find them very practical and insightful and they are given over in a very clear manner. Okay? Thank you. I have a few questions which I hope you can address in your English share. My husband and I have been married for just a few years and we have just a few children. Not many. Can I know My husband is a friendly personality who infuses happiness into his surroundings. He's very clever, emotionally in tune and a great father. He is also extremely sensitive, which over the last few years I have become more so too. This is a wonderful thing, but can be very painful at times when things other people say or do hurt. This is much more extreme when it's a spouse, someone you care so much about. When we got engaged, we spoke about living life together, facing challenges as a team, and making decisions in agreement with each other. We seemed to share the same goals for our future home. We also discussed how important it is for us to communicate our desires and feelings to each other. What happened was that any time one of us did or said something that he, that they found slightly bothersome, we would communicate this in a very respectful way. However, it became too much for both of us. Any time one of us would begin a conversation with, I'd like to share something, the tension would spike and it became difficult for both of us to give the other the validation and reassurance. My husband eventually cut this out almost completely. I still think that communicating feelings is very important, although not to the extent that we have done it previously. However, my husband now seems unable to give me the validation and reassurance I need when I share my feelings. You have spoken about yours, mine, and ours, an idea which rings true. Right? For those who don't know what this is referring to, I talk about this often, um, knowing what belongs to who in a relationship are things that are mine, things that are yours, and things that belong to both of us. I also know that the husband is the head of the home, although I'm not sure how to tie these two ideas together. Does this mean that in the hours part of our marriage, he really has more say than myself? For example, when choosing a school for our children, am I supposed to express my opinion and then leave the decision up to him? He seems to think that yes, a wife should not have as much say as her husband, even in the areas that affect them both equally. This hurts me greatly, as it is the opposite of what he envisioned. 
we envisioned probably when we dated and were engaged. He has also expressed that a wife should not discuss with her husband anything that he's doing wrong, but a husband may be able to tell his wife when she does. There are times that I may have learned a certain halacha, which it seems he is unaware of, or there could be something he's doing which I feel is harmful to the children, which I want to ask him to stop, but he believes that I should just keep quiet and leave it to him. This causes me pain and is not how I want my marriage to look. I think this is this may be because he feels that I'm not respecting him when I tell him that something he does bothers me. I understand that a wife must respect her husband, and therefore I always speak in a very respectful way. Does this mean everything he does should be perfect in my eyes, even if it's causing me or our children some kind of harm? Just as an example of how this became personal, was that my husband's brother once needed something urgently about 20 minutes before Shabbos. My husband informed me that he was going to get this for him, leaving me to scramble around doing all the last-minute things by myself without his help. When I explained to him that this has hurt me, he told me that he's in charge of his own decisions and he doesn't need my permission. This made me feel that instead of being the most important person in his life, there are others more of priority to him. There are some things that my husband does which I do not want in our home. Just to give an example, he's a people's person and likes to hear about the latest gossip regarding anyone he knows. This involves a lot of Lashon Hora and not being done the Kapschus, which are areas that I happen to have worked on. I understand that no one is perfect and I cannot expect him to be perfect. However, he has developed an attitude that I, as his wife, am trying to control him and I should not be expressing any feelings about how he lives his life. I want my children to grow up in a Lashon Hora free home where we always look for the best in people even if they seem to be doing something questionable. My husband does not seem to care about this, and it bothers me greatly. There are other things that he does which I don't want our children to learn from. I know that there's plenty that I also need to work on, and I don't want my children learning from, but I feel that my husband doesn't doesn't necessarily aim to improve in the areas where he lacks. If he does, he doesn't give me any reassurance about this, and he doesn't seem to share the same goals that I have for how to build our home into a beautiful one. In my sensitivity, any time that my husband makes a decision without my input or says something I don't like, it causes me to shut down emotionally and I find myself unable to show him love or even talk and smile at him. And he doesn't think he's done anything wrong, so he wouldn't apologize, which would hurt me even more and it's difficult for me to snap out of this situation. I know that we have so much potential to build a beautiful marriage and home and I won't stop until we achieve this, but there are some days that the situation appears hopeless. I know that I should be speaking to someone who knows us about these challenges, and I have done so without much success. I am, I am working on finding someone else to talk to who may be able to help more. In the meantime, any advice you can give would be much appreciated. Hashem should give you the courage to help many more Jewish marriages reach their full potential. Okay, that was quite a long letter, um, like I said. So let me just start by, by mentioning uh, three disclaimers. I, I, I find myself um, starting with disclaimers very often. One is that you know, both because of the length and the detail of the letter and because of the general situation that's being described over here, this is what I call a case. Now, don't take me wrong and don't get uh, discouraged when I say that those words. When I say a case, I don't mean it's a terrible case or a hopeless case or a problematic case or anything like that at all. But it's a case. It's a case. In other words, you're not dealing with a question. You're not dealing with an issue. You're not dealing with something specific or individual, like, what do we do over here, this isolated um, thing that's bothering me or him, or communication question. This is a case. We have a relationship um, issue, which is affecting how I see my husband, what I want from him, how we communicate, how we make decisions, how we treat each other, how we see each other, uh, how we talk about things that are about... This is a case. This is something that has to be dealt with in general. Now, if the way to deal with it is by you finding someone to talk to, or both of you finding someone to talk to, or, or whatever it is, that's a whole separate idea. So even though I'm going to try to pick up on the different nuances and details and, and topics 
which you might find helpful. I hope that the questioner will find them helpful, and I hope that other people will find them helpful. But I, I don't want to, I don't want to um, make believe that there isn't a bigger general issue that that should be addressed somehow. Like I said, it's not a hopeless case at all. It doesn't sound terrible, but definitely something that has to be addressed in general terms too. Um, another thing I will mention, because you you started off your letter like that, that you you've both uh, developed you call it developed a certain sensitivity. Um, the fact that both of you are probably dealing with this, and based on what I'm reading between the lines as well, the fact that both of you are dealing with this emotionally, both your husband seems to be taking things very personally and sensitive, and, and you as well, it, it might just make it that much harder for you to do this on your own, which means any advice that I might give you and break it down into certain logical, uh, a certain logical approach of what should be done and how you should, uh, how you should see it and deal with it, it could be that you might not be capable of doing that on your own, being that your perspective and your experience is very emotional. And, and logical ideas might not resonate or might not be too practical or applicable, you know, just like that. Um, so that's, that's another point. And one more point I want to mention is, what I mention often, is that if I was addressing a couple, or if a couple would be describing this, then I definitely would have a lot to say to the husband um, that's being described over here. Okay? In other words, if a husband and a wife are both describing a situation together, and they both want guidance, there's very much that the husband in this situation should know and learn from and, and do better, not a question. Being that, you're the, being that the questioner is a woman writing about herself and asking her own questions, so now already, I don't know, first of all, if he would share the same perspective as she, as she sees over here about this whole story. For all I know, maybe he's going to tell me this is totally inaccurate. And again, it's not about uh, trusting or not trusting somebody's version of what's going on. It's just about understanding that, uh, you know, you see it one way. He might see it somewhere a different way. So I can, only, I can only assume that what you're telling me is true, which is wonderful. But I can't anymore address your husband based on your um, description of, of what's happening, first of all. Second of all, a general idea that I talk about often is that as long as you're trying to get someone else to do things better, you're wasting your time. Not because your husband is limited or incapable of improving, but if you're the one that wants to know what to do, there's a lot that you could do. And the fact that I have 25 uh, uh, aces for you to do better doesn't mean that I don't have another 25 for him. And that's why people often get defensive. What do you mean? I should do this and that and this and that. All these things better? What about him? Well, when he asks the question, he'll find out what he could do better. And if you're going to wait for someone else to do the right thing before you do the right thing, because it's not fear or even or whatever, then, then you, very often um, you're wasting your time and, and, and you're not going to get anywhere. Just... Just this past week, somebody told me about a situation, a certain Askin, he actually went down to a Rav, a Rebbe, to talk to him about a certain Sean Bias case, not knowing that this Rebbe was previously involved and aware of all the details. And the uh, Rav told him, you should know, I, I, I heard about this case from both sides already, both parties have been by me in the past, and each of them come to me with a whole uh, laundry list of what I should get the other one to do better. I was never able to help them. She comes to me that I should get her husband to improve. He comes to me I should get his wife to improve. Neither of them are, neither of them are asking me, first of all, what I think. And neither of them are asking what they could do better. And, and that's why I'm so limited into how much help I could give them. So this is something that's always important to acknowledge. So even if anyone who heard this question, or the questioner herself, um, feels that there's so much that the husband might really be able to do much better, that's not what we're addressing now. And it's a very important story that I keep on reminding my listeners and, and, and people have told me that this is helpful to realize that you know, looking inward, making introspection and seeing what I could do better, regardless of what someone else could do better, is, is always the right attitude and, and, and a helpful approach. So I want to address, um, let's call it six points, 
again, I, I don't think that addressing these six points is the answer to the general uh, relationship going on over here, but, but it's, it's six important points that reading this letter uh, made me think of, and I hope that people will be able to benefit from, from, the, from discussing these six points. Let's call point number one um, being realistic. Okay, being realistic. There's a certain coloring book image that we have. You know, people talk about this often when it comes to a Shabbos Suda, for example. You look at the coloring book in the Shabbos Suda and the father sitting by the table with all the kids around. Everyone's eating so nicely. Nobody has any stain on their shirt. And everyone's listening so nicely to the parasha being discussed and eating you know, eating nicely and, and sitting together. And of course we know that that's in the coloring book. That's all. It's not real life. Whoever has a family of children and, and sits by Shabbos Suda knows that it's almost, there's almost never that perfect picture. But this is how it is about everything in life. There's the coloring book idea of what I want my spouse to be like, as an individual, as a person. There's a coloring book idea of what I want my marriage to look like. There's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, perfect pictures that we have, or that we fool ourselves exist, and then, and then they work against you, because it doesn't work like that in real life. On a personal level, right? everybody has a package. Everybody has qualities, and everybody has deficiencies and challenges. Everybody. The fact that when you thought about who you want to marry, or you were dating someone and deciding to marry someone, or you were told information about someone uh, early on before you got married, the fact that everything seemed so rosy and perfect, and at some point it started hitting you that in real life it's not all that perfect, that, that's what part of life is. So the fact that you start off your letter talking about um, how wonderful your husband is and how he infuses happiness in the surroundings, and he's a great father and a friendly personality. Again, some people just write these things you know, as a bumper before getting to the negative, but I always pick up on that, both to commend you for noticing all those good things, and both to remind you to focus on those good things. Those are his qualities. The fact that he's also very sensitive and he might have certain ideas that are challenging to you doesn't take away from those qualities. Now, the way us human beings work is that when when there's good things and bad things happening at the same time, we take the good things for granted, because those are the ones we expected. And the bad things are the ones that, that are so noticeable and so blatant and so uh, prominent in, in, our, in our experience. But that's not how it should be. So, of course, when it's raining outside, we only see the rain and the getting wet. We don't realize that it's not lightning and it's not, uh, and it's not terrible winds. Right? You, don't, you don't realize that part that, that's not there, the good parts. But, but that, that's how we are. When something breaks, we only notice the thing that broke. We didn't notice all the things that didn't break. When it comes to seeing people and, and having an opinion about people that are, that are close to you and dear to you, being able to focus on the positives and constantly, consistently reminding yourself, you know, my husband really has a lot of good things. And if he wouldn't have these things, even if other things maybe would be better, but these things might, might irk me. These things would have bothered me. And there's something I, I try to help people remind, remember, and I remind myself as well, that everyone around me has qualities that I might have taken for granted and they might um, be taking up less um, a less percent of my of my focus now that I'm noticing certain challenges that this person is presenting me with, but it's something that we always have to be reminded of. Yes, there are a lot of challenges, and keep on seeing the good, and keep on appreciating the good, and keep on remembering that nobody has it all. So, of course, it's almost always easy to say that I'd rather the other one because this is one I'm suffering from um, presently. Something I spoke about a few times about the love languages. You know, it's easy to say my love language is the one I'm not getting. That's the one that would make me feel loved without realizing that if you only have that one and not the one you are getting, you might be bothered by that as well. So that's, that's one point about, about reality. Another point about reality, like I said before, is about, is about relationship reality. 
there are, there are beautiful relationships. There are the lovebird relationships. There, there is such a thing. I'm not saying there isn't. Some people have, have, have seen it at home or some people think they see it by someone else or whatever. But at the end of the day, in, in real life, there will almost always be challenges. So the fact that when we dated, I and mean, this is the part that sounds almost, almost silly, the fact that when we dated, we envisioned the perfect relationship and we spoke about it and we agreed upon it and we, and we, it doesn't work like that in real life. Of course, before you marry someone, before you get into any relationship, it's easy to come up with the perfect outline and the perfect structure of how this relationship will work. We'll always understand each other and we'll always communicate well and we'll always help each other feel understood. The fact that you're hitting a bump, don't get resentful by the fact that that's not what I wanted. Well, of course not. Of course everybody wants something more perfect. And of course everybody will at some point in their life be dealing with something that, that real life uh, you know, brings about. So that's, that's something that... The fact that you had a very clear mahalach of how you're going to navigate every challenge and every negativity and iron it all out, it doesn't work like that. So don't be resentful and don't, and don't, be, uh, you know, don't, don't feel bad about that. And one more, one more point about being realistic is that it seems sometimes that we'll come up with the perfect approach and the perfect method and the perfect um, attitude, how to communicate everything, and we'll get by every, every problem. Right? It's a science, it's a math, what do you mean? If I tell you how I feel and you tell me what I want, you know, we could break it down to something that's always applicable and, and will iron out every difficulty. It doesn't work like that in real life. Now, I, I do mention often that almost everything could be communicated if you know how and when to say it. And I believe it's true. That doesn't mean, first of all, that everything should be communicated. It means that everything that has to be communicated, there's a good way to do it. But does that mean that everything could be communicated? If I think that you're stupid, I think you're stupid. Does that mean there's a nice way to say it? Does that mean it's beneficial to say it? Is it going to help anyone if I say it? There are things that just, just are best left unsaid. So when it comes to such a thing where we made up, we'll always communicate when something's bothering. It could be that for some people that works. It could be that when done properly, it could always, it could always be done. And it could also be that sometimes it's better not to say things for whatever reason. So this is just what I wanted to bring out first, that when it comes to being realistic and realizing that yes, you married somebody with challenges, and your relationship will have challenges, and the perfect picture of how and when we're going to communicate things might have challenges in it about how practical that could be. This is all something that you know, has to be taken into account instead of being discouraged about it or resentful about it and, and, and you know, being hurt about it. You know, hurt, I'm hurt about it. This is, this is real life. It's, just, it's, it's a similar to the idea that I talk about when, when, we, when we discuss transparency. You know, in the coloring book, a relationship, we should be open about everything. We should have no secrets, nothing to hide because we love each other so much. We're mamas like one. In real life, it doesn't work like that. In real life, these things don't always happen like that. So we have to, we have to navigate accordingly and, and, be, and be reasonable and realistic. That's first of all. Let's go to point number two and that's about communicating what, I, what I'll call the undesirable. Okay? Um, there are things that none of us want to hear. Nobody. Nobody wants to hear Critique, right? Nobody wants to hear somebody criticizing them. Nobody, nobody wants to hear that. Nobody wants to hear complaints. Nobody likes to hear complaints. Nobody wants to hear, and even people who claim contrary to that, it's, no, I want to. If something's bothering you, I want to hear it. Or if you think something, if you think I should fix something, I want you to tell it to me. Most often, it's not true. And people might be curious, and they don't want you to hold it to yourself, or they want to sound like they're really confident enough to hear it. And maybe on some level, they want to hear it. But to say the person appreciates hearing it, does he like hearing it? Would he rather you not have what to complain about? Or to be critical about? Or in general, to hear somebody kvetch? People don't like these things. Let's just, let's just start with that. 
the fact that the fact that some people refer to it as I, I want to share something. You said every time somebody brings up the words, I want to share something. You could call it sheer. You can call it uh, whatever you want, any word that you learned in therapy. But, you know, uh, the reason why I'm saying therapy is because you don't hear kids in school saying, I want to share something. This is usually something you pick up later on, some professional terms. But it's important to realize that when, you, when you're criticizing someone, as nice and as respectful as you might be doing it, nobody likes hearing that. It's very important to remember that you're saying something that somebody doesn't want to hear. And, and there's no reason why somebody should want to hear it. Let's, let's just put it like that. Um, you might claim that you want to hear it or that you're okay hearing it, or you, and you might really be dealing with it better when somebody tells it to you than, than when you tell it to them, but nobody likes hearing this. So don't wonder why somebody doesn't, doesn't want to hear it. That, that's first of all. Another thing is that you mentioned a few times you want to get the validation that you're looking for and you're not getting it, or the reassurance. I spoke about this in the past. Sometimes the person you're complaining to or criticizing or, or whatever word you want to use, you're sharing with, um, doesn't, has no clue what you want to hear. All they know is that you're complaining and you're being critical and they're either going to go into justification mode and start rationalizing why they were right and explaining themselves and defending themselves or, or they're left without knowing what to say and it just becomes complicated. And sometimes when you're clear about it, either in the conversation or in advance, that when I tell you I want to share something, all I'm really looking for is this or when you actually start telling someone something, I'd like to share something and I want you to know that I don't think it's your fault. I don't need you to start explaining yourself. I know why you did it. And I still feel that it will be helpful to me to get it off my chest, even though I could be totally irrational and wrong about it. And if you just tell me that you hear me and you understand me, that will mean everything to me. Very often that, that makes it so much easier for someone to now be okay hearing it because they understand that you're not looking to just be critical or demand an answer or an explanation. And automatically it's, it's simpler. So that's also something that you could help someone be more okay hearing what you have to share, share about them to them about um, as long as they know what you want to hear. But I think that, that what's more important when it comes to communicating the undesirable uh, messages that people don't like to hear is, is the underlying implication of these messages. When you're critical about something, and again, I'm calling it critical, you don't mean to criticize, but that's what you're doing. You're criticizing either somebody did something or said something you didn't like, or, or they're doing something harmful to the children, or some halacha, or whatever it is that you're, that you're sharing over here. You might be doing it very focused and very specific, that this is the thing that's bothering me. Nothing personal, nothing about you, nothing general. You're not generalizing. You're avoiding all the mistakes that some people make. But at the same time, there is an underlying, subtle, subconscious, general message that somebody's hearing again and again. By the time you criticize me six times in one month, or in one day, or even in one year, and again, depending on how sensitive I am and how, how, how true it is about me, and whatever else comes into, into account, uh, by the time you're doing this enough times, the, the message I'm getting is that I'm no good. Now, you may have never said that, and you may claim to never have even meant to say that, but very often that's what I'm hearing. And very often you don't even realize how much you're not giving the, the counter message of, you know, you're an amazing husband. You're a wonderful father. You're, you're a special person. You don't realize that you know, these subtle, small messages which seem so innocent and so respectful could be giving a bigger picture somebody really, really is trying to avoid hearing or doesn't know how to deal with. That's just another point that you have to take into account. It's not, that the, it's not that the person doesn't want to hear the criticism as much as they don't want to hear what the criticism implies and they're already so turned off that every time you say, I want to share something, it's like, oh, here it goes again. What I, what I do wrong now. So that's something to take into account. So I think that what, what you're describing, at least from your perspective, is a husband who's not overly confident and macho and, you know, it's my way and the highway and I know what I'm doing and 
you're describing somebody who, who has a fragile ego and is feeling very put down and very threatened by all your messages and it's coming a point where he feels that I, I, I just can't hear these things anymore. You might, you might not mean to be critical or condescending and you might be talking in a, in a respectful tone without realizing that you're not giving enough or not nearly enough of the ratio, uh, not enough of a ratio between the compliments and the high esteem and whatever it is that you see all the good and being very clear about the fact that any kind of criticism or whatever it is is specifically not personal and specifically not about him and specifically not uh, uh, being being offensive and critical and, and nothing that and there's nothing for him to defend himself about. So that's just another another point about knowing how to communicate something that somebody doesn't want to hear. So that, that was the second point I just wanted to elaborate on a bit. Let me go to another point over here, and that's the, the idea of perspective. Okay, and I mentioned it earlier as well. If you and your husband will be writing this letter together, then, uh, you know, this is what we see, this is what we feel, this is what you feel, I feel. At least there's a shared perspective. But you're giving me your perspective on what's going on. And very often, when it comes to perspective, uh, let, let's break this down to three, to three points. You might be seeing something that is, that is somewhat, somewhat, again, I, I always, I'm always careful with the wording because I don't want anyone to be offended and I don't want to think that I'm, that I'm, that I'm too certain about what I'm about to say, but somewhat misinterpret it. Perspective is something that, it's only a perspective. The, whole, the word perspective mean, means that it's relative to who's seeing this. Somebody just mentioned to me, very interesting, I think he was saying it in the name of Abachia Tober. Abachia Tober said something about um, two women who are, who are in the same situation. Um, both have a husband who they would have wanted should help them at home. And the husband says, I got to go learn. Eight o'clock, my chavrus, I have to go learn. Husband goes out to learn, and she's left there herself, and she doesn't feel good about it, but okay. She looks out the window, and she sees that her husband walks out, you know, walks out of the house, down three steps, and meets a friend, and, and stands there and talks for ten minutes, and then goes on to learn. One woman sees this and says, you see that? He just wanted to get out of the house. He's not, he's not going to learn. He, he got caught up with a friend, and all of a sudden, he has time, ten minutes. And she's resentful about it, she complains about it, she uses it against him, the whole thing. The next woman sees the same thing. Her husband goes out of the house, down the steps, meets a friend, talks for 10 minutes. She's like, it's such a shame. My husband wants to learn. He loves being on time. He always leaves on time. And here comes a guy, and my, you know, my good husband didn't want to turn him down, so he spent 10 minutes talking to him. It's just, it's just a shame. I, I wish he wouldn't have met, met that guy, and then he would have all the time to learn and do the right thing. Now, Rebbe Chiyotober's explanation of why one woman sees it this way and that way, I'm not going to go into and I, I have a different take on it. But the idea that two people could be seeing the same thing and be, and be seeing something totally different, right? seeing the same situation and understanding it differently, interpreting it differently, is such a common idea. And you see it all the time. Very much of your perspective, whether it's about your husband not caring about you or about him not caring to grow and improve himself and things like that, whatever it is, that, it's important to question your perspective sometimes and realize this is what I'm seeing. It could be somebody else would see a very different picture in my husband. I'm not saying that your perspective is necessarily wrong. I'm not saying the other person is going to be right. It's important to remember that you might be misinterpreting. When people could, could question their own perspective, it just opens like a new, uh, a new, new ideas in your mind. But maybe he doesn't mean it. Maybe he's feeling threatened. Maybe he sees it differently. Maybe he does want it. It's a very important point. I've heard this on the other end of so many husbands who feel that what they do is misinterpreted when they're giving a, 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 a genuine compliment that's taken wrong, when they, when they offer help and it's turned down and then it's used against them, things like that. You don't care about me, you do care about me. 
and, and I'm, I'm saying this mainly about the idea that you mentioned that, that I'm not the first on his list. Maybe you are. Maybe there's still room for someone else. Maybe not. Maybe others would see the same situation as, wow, my husband's such an amazing person. He dropped everything to help a brother in emergency. And that's what you're supposed to do when somebody's in an emergency. Who else he can do it for if not for a brother? You know, it's just, just different, different ways of looking at things. Um, an, another thing about perspective is that to you it might look like an avla or a problem that you're not the first on his list without realizing that there's another person on his list as well. And that's himself. Just Again, just last week somebody was describing to me a situation where his wife asked him to do something at night and he was very tired and he said listen I could do it in the morning no problem now forget about going into the details of why he felt that doing it in the morning would be the same exact thing as doing it at night he doesn't even he has no, he has no inkling of why his wife would even care if it's done in the morning or at night as long as when she wakes up it's taken care of aside from that she went into a, a whole rant about you don't care about me I thought you care about me you don't care about me and this, this is something that it's so, it's so common to hear this complaint you don't care about me um, I'm not first on your list I'm not second on your he cares about himself too. Is he allowed to care about himself? Is, is he your child or is he a person? Is he allowed to say that for me it works better that way or does he have to take your command like a little boy um, listening to his mommy and if he doesn't his mommy is entitled to scream at him and say how could you not do it for me? I don't understand you. You know, he, he, he would have done it for you if he wouldn't be tired. Or like somebody else gave me another example of this his wife was using against him something like, if you'd care about me, then you would uh, buy this and this for me. Something, something that she wanted, and of course it's some money, and he wasn't buying it. And all he was trying to explain to her was, you could be sure if it would be for free, I'd get, I'd get you three. I'd get you three of them, today. But it's not for free, and it costs money. And once it costs money, the fact that I'm not getting it is not because I don't care about you, it's because it has to fit into the budget. There are other things that come into account. And I care about myself, and how much, it's, how much strain it's going to cause on me to be able to cover the bills now. Another example, somebody told me when his wife was saying something, well, if you'd care about me, you'd clean up the mess, or you'd do this or that. He said, I, I care about you, but I just don't care about the mess as much as you do. In other words, you didn't even ask me to clean it up. You're wondering why I didn't clean it, and you're interpreting that as, I must not care about you? Maybe I just don't care about the mess. Now, I'm not here to justify and say that you could always put yourself first, I never care about the mess, I never buy your wife anything, I never... But just to, to misinterpret, again, that you must not care about me, I'm not the first on your list because you went to help your brother in emergency... How many women would do the same thing when their sister's in an emergency? How many people tell me that they actually see their, their wives doing the same exact thing that they don't want them to do? Again, without getting to the husband-wife, wife-husband idea, the fact that your husband went on an emergency call to help a brother, and it, pro- it doesn't sound like it happens every week, why are you, why are you interpreting that as he, his yes caring about you or not caring about you? It could be he did the right thing. It could be he cares about you and still cares about his brother. It could be he cares about you and still cares about himself. And he felt better doing this. And unfortunately, you know, he's still a person. So these are things that are, it's about perspective. How to interpret a situation and question your own perspective. And another idea, being that perspective is relative and everyone can have their own perspective, there's no right and wrong. The more you prove your perspective, and the more you push it on someone and, and, pro- and bring every proof that you could that you're right and he's wrong, the more defensive he gets and the more he tries to justify his own position and the less he can come across now and say, you know what, I understand you and next time I'll do things differently. Because you're so busy about who's right and wrong that his only option is to stay right. And that's what people don't realize where they're limiting themselves, getting very stuck on their own perspective. Let me go over to another idea. Again, it's, it's a little broad discussion. I'm just applying it all to the letter that, that you wrote. Boundaries versus roles. You brought up a very good point. 
Boundaries is the idea of what belongs to me, what belongs to you, what belongs to both of us. And what belongs to both of us, we should both have a say in, we should be considerate of each other's opinion. How does this work together with the husband being the man of the house, the boss? So if he's the boss, then, then he should make the decision of what's ours. Now, I get this question often, because I'm a big promoter of the idea of healthy boundaries and understanding you know, who should be taken more seriously, and in which areas who should be making decisions. Every idea that we find, especially in, in the sources, in Chazal, Rambam, every idea could be taken to an extreme and then be turned into a contradiction to the next idea. The, the, the simple idea of husband and wife being respectful of each other, um, the simple idea of them, of, of the simple idea that the Rambam talks about a wife doing everything the way her husband wants and a husband never controlling his wife, you know, that could be seen as a contradiction. And of course, with a certain amount of understanding and a certain amount of creativity, we can make every idea work in sync with the other idea. These ideas should never be seen as contradictions. The fact that the husband is a man of the house means that we should be, uh, a woman should always be respectful of her husband, always be talking to him in a respectful manner, always being considerate of the fact that, yes, this is his home, and he is the leader, and he is the pilot, and he is whatever other kind of word you want to use. And the fact that something belongs to both of us means that a woman should never be afraid to give an opinion, and it means that a husband shouldn't be making decisions on his own without taking into account that this affects his wife directly, and there's no reason why he should be controlling things. And there's no reason why she should be afraid to express herself and say, listen, I think this really does you know, pertain to both of us, and it's very important to me how this is done. That, that could work together. I, I know that sometimes it seems that it can't, but this, this should be working together. Interestingly, just because I like using the analogy of pilot-co-pilot when it comes to husband and wife running a home, um, a pilot shouldn't be making decisions on his own and ignoring the co-pilot. If he would be doing so, there's no reason for the co-pilot to be there. A co-pilot shouldn't be controlling the pilot because at the end of the day, it's somewhat of an assistant position uh, where the pilot is the one running the show and the co-pilot is there to help out. And if the co-pilot is noticing something that has to be done, the co-pilot has to say it. And a pilot has to listen to it. And a co-pilot shouldn't feel inferior. I say, well, it's not my place to say. And then still have the respect for the pilot. And this is something that has to work together. And very often, you know, for some reason, it gets turned into a, a either-or. Either I'll be respectful and give you your space or I'm going to just do my own thing this is something that I, I feel is, is, is so often just necessary to, to slowly be combined, these two ideas. I think that essentially when a woman is truly respectful of her husband, and like I said before, to a point where he feels respected and looked up to and appreciated and, and you know, held in high esteem, most often he'll make more place for his wife than the opposite. Sometimes a woman is afraid almost to make him feel too good because then he'll feel like he can do whatever he wants. In the meantime, in real life, it's the other way around. The more he feels threatened, the more he feels questioned, the more he feels criticized, the more he feels put down, the less um, place he's making for him, the more he has to stick up for his fragile ego, often, and, and show that he is in control, and he shouldn't be um, told what to do. So this is just an idea that the more respectful you are, and the more um, authority you give someone, more often, the more you actually do have input. And like I started off with, this, this might be a case that somebody has to give some healthy, objective input and help you both out uh, together, I'm just trying to clarify these ideas, how boundaries and roles um, are usually not something that, that have to be a contradiction. An- another another uh, very important idea, and that is, you know, I'll, I'll leave the trickier one for last, and I'll, I'll just throw in this. You're talking about your husband's growth, his personal growth, his dandekavschos, his lashnahara, and all that. Again, you, you might be right about all of that. Let's start with that. Lashnari, not allowed to talk. 
Nobody's allowed to talk Lashnara. I mean, we should be done with Kavzchus. And this does pertain to the Chinuch of the children. And I'm not going to make believe that it's okay to just say whatever you want and hope that the children will know what's right and wrong. Not a question. At the same time, every Kala is taught that you're not your husband's mashgiach. And regardless of what you made up with your husband when you were engaged, you, you should not be controlling what someone else does on a personal level, first of all. And such as even a husband to a wife on some level as well, it's important to remember that we all have personal challenges, all of us. The fact that you mentioned that you're ready to grow and you're looking to grow and that in these areas you did grow already, etc., etc. Very often people say, I'm ready to grow, but they're only ready to grow in the areas that they want to grow. Your husband might have a whole different list for you to grow in that you don't want to grow in or you don't think you have to grow in. We don't think it's important or whatever. My point is just that when it comes to personal growth and avoid Hashem and avoid this Adam and and we're all in this together, we're all struggling. Each and every one of us has our Yetzirah and we all have our blind spots. And we all have our subjectivity and our Nagiya. And we all have what to work on. And when we start looking at the other person saying, I wish that person would want to grow in this area, or this person would care to grow, or this person would actually uh, outgrow this, this problem, it, it's a very wrong focus. It's not about me and you anymore. This is about everyone personally. It's not me. It's not the way you're treating me, or I'm treating you. Or, it, it's the wrong thing. Now the fact that I could always turn it into something that affects me directly, I want you to grow in this area so that I could be more comfortable. I know that it could, it could pertain to me, it could pertain to the kids. But at the end of the day, this is your thing. Now, does it mean that we shouldn't be mechanic children about Lashon Hara because my husband is not so makbaran? No, of course he should. But even that has to be tweaked and applied correctly and should never come across like the holier-than-thou attitude of mommy doesn't want to hear Lashon Hara and looking at Tati and like, oh, so he said it, not I It's a very wrong chinech um, message too. So if you're trying to be careful with the chinech abonim, that's also something to, to definitely be careful about. Being critical of your husband and pointing out to him his faults or his weaknesses or things that he could work on, especially if he's not taking it well, something that I think you should definitely stop right there. Um, you could work on yourself. You could ask him if you want what he thinks you could work on if you're open to it. You might try it once or twice and realize that it's not so batamt. Um, but beyond that, you could educate children about Lashonara and you could. And I think your husband will, will equally be just fine, you know, talking about these things in general terms and being mechanic in these things. And sometimes in a respectful way, you do want to address it. But be very careful how you do it. And like I said, based on the whole background over here, I would suggest that for, for the meantime, until your husband really feels much more respected and much more comfortable, it's probably not the right time you know, to, to discuss his willingness to improve in the areas that you feel that he should be improving in. The last thing I want to mention over here is, what do you do when you feel very limited, very stuck, very controlled? Because that's what you're describing. He doesn't let me talk about this, he doesn't let me say that, he doesn't let me do this, and now I feel so stuck and I feel so emotionally incapable of, of talking and being open, whatever, and I understand you. I understand you. I'm not going to say that it's right, I'm not going to say that you're justified for now being stuck in your own thing. He might have a very different description of what you just described. You know, my wife shuts down completely and ignores me and cold shoulders me. I don't know. But in any case, you're feeling very stuck. And, and in general, what do I do when I'm just stuck? I, I want to do something and the other person is not working alone, he doesn't let me. What do I do now? And here's the tricky part. And, and, and this depends very much on your version of what's happening, on your perspective, on how you're going to apply what I'm going to say. And that's why I like saying, don't try this at home. Without getting objective, professional guidance, don't try this at home. I just want to mention it so that people realize that there's, there's always an option. And this is in every relationship, there's always options. What you're always in control of is your reaction to a situation. That, that you're always in control of. You can't control if your husband runs out 20 minutes before this man to help his brother. You're not, you can't control 
uh, how he thinks he should be doing right now. And it could be more extreme examples where it's more unacceptable, more intolerable. You can't control that, especially if he's telling you clearly that I'll do whatever I want. But just as an example, you could control your reaction to it. Now again, like I'm saying, be careful how you apply this. Doing this irresponsibly or incorrectly based on how you feel you're doing it or based on what you feel you're experiencing might work against you. But if everything you're saying is right and you're overwhelmed and it's 20 minutes for his mom and he didn't ask you if he can go, he told you he's going and, and everything that he was supposed to do now fell on you, you're definitely in control of how much of that do you want to pick up the pieces of. Or take your shower and when he comes home we'll see the soup is not on the black and say, listen, I, I wanted to do it. It was either that or taking a shower and, and he didn't ask me if I'm okay with this and I felt that for me this is more important. Now, this could be very bad advice for many people that find themselves in this situation, and I'm saying it one more time. Don't try this just because I said so. My point is just that even if you can't control what someone else does, on some level you could always control your reaction to it, and you could tell someone very nicely and respectfully, very nicely and very respectfully, I wish I could work alone with the way you're running this relationship and this home and everything around us. It doesn't work for me, so I'll tell you how I could work alone with what you're uh, designing for us, unless we speak it over with someone and find someone who could guide us both together. So even though, like I said, this is, it's, it's very tricky and you don't want to pull the wrong card at the wrong time and say, listen, you can't control my reaction, I'll do whatever I want, you do what you want, I do what I want. If you're running out to help your brother, I'm running to my mother for Shabbos. Don't do anything stupid. But remember that even when you're very limited, very limited in certain situations, um, you know, in general, communicating these things nicely and the right time, the right way and talking about it in a healthy way could resolve a lot of this. But when it can't, remember, you're not in control of someone else, but you're almost always in control of yourself. And when you do that in, a, in, a, in, a, in the right way, you do it in a healthy way. You do it in a way that has zero negativity, nothing offensive, nothing challenging, but very confident, and, and you're basically showing someone that whatever decisions they make, especially the, the wrong ones or irrational ones or unfair ones, will definitely have some kind of consequence of not having the other person just work along you know, by default. You know, very often th- that could like slowly um, um, set things up in a way that, that people will, will have to be more considerate. So again, this is, this is very tricky and something you want to discuss with someone. But I did want to mention that at times people feel so incapable and so stuck. And it's always important to remember that you know, with the right amount of communication, you could definitely discuss what you could and can do and apply that right. So I hope that between these um, six points I mentioned, um, I, I hope that, that there's some clarity that different people could apply in different situations. And like I said, by the time all six are relevant, you might be best off finding someone who could really help you through this and improve the right things, the first things first, the second things second, knowing how to work on it and doing whatever you could do, just what you could do to improve the relationship with the Mr. Shem. Hazina Shemayev Adabayru, tweaking your message that your husband should be able to accept it and working along with whatever you're dealing with. Now yourself with the right amount of Siat Deshmaya, you'll be able to um, have the results you're looking for and we could all live together by Havach Mashalom Varayas.